Welcome to the Endurance Athlete Podcast. This is a podcast where athletes across disciplines of endurance sports come together and share their stories. We may not be racing against each other, but we all share the same goal of training and pushing ourselves to our physical limits. And what better guest to have today than Dr. Peter Francis to talk about something that is ubiquitous across endurance sports and athletes, and that's injury. Dr. Uh, Francis has published a book called Running from Injury, Why Runners Get Injured and How to Stop It. And I believe, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you can find it on Amazon. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Peter, thank you for, for joining me. Like I said before, I know we've had a nightmare in scheduling this. My kid's going back to school and just a variety of things. So I'm glad that we're finally able to connect and make this happen. And I'm excited about this talk because although a lot of my discussions here can be silly and and fun. This is a topic that I deal with on a professional basis, and it's something that I think people need to know more about. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm really looking forward to our, to our chat, yeah. Before we get into the book, and I'm sure a lot of the stuff that we talk about is included in the book, but I want to get a, uh, an idea of your background for those uh, who don't know as far as your professional and your, your sports background, and then we'll kind of go from there. Okay, well, I'll, I'll give you the whistle-stop tour of both because they're so intertwined now, there's almost no difference. But um, I start running uh, at 15 and uh, love it. And I'm just blown away by how my mind and body changes and, and everything else. And so that kind of leads me to say, I'm going to study sports science. I'm just fascinated by how this all works. And um, by the time I reach college age, say 18, I've started, the wheels have started to come off in terms of injuries and illness and so on. And, and that persists really um, for at least uh, 10 to 12 years. And um, I, I complete my degree, but I do more coaching for the university than I do running um, because of the injuries. And I, I then end up kind of going on to study physical therapy after that because um, I start out primarily concerned with performance but then I realized hey you can't perform if you're injured all the time so then I started to learn about injuries um I went on and did my PhD um and then I started to work on training camps with athletes abroad so so I would go with Irish squads and, and work with athletes and you know by age 28 29 I'd given up uh completely I've done a couple of half Ironmans um you know basically swimming and cycling and then whatever bit of running I can I can mm -hmm. tolerate and one time then in, in 2016 I'm on a training camp and I start to realize I'm actually able to help quite a few athletes and I start to realize that even some ones that are pretty bad in terms of their their injury history and so I start to kind of see a color picture for how all the bits fit together and I thought to myself, maybe I can give this one more go. And, and that was a big uh, statement because I'd been injured so many times that, you know, a, a little bit like a wounded animal, you kind of, you don't want to commit. Um, but uh, I gave it a go. And uh, sure enough, I, I ran for three years uh, consistently. I smashed all my times and everything. And I started a blog in 2017 to try and share that information with runners. And then uh, over the course of four years, I wrote the book, um, and yeah, that kind of summarizes the personal and professional in, in, in one, I guess. Okay. And when you started the, at 15 years old, what was it 
the sport here in the U.S. You're in Ireland, uh, yeah, correct. So we call it cross country, and it's yeah. basically it's where most youth runners and athletes start cross country. It's three miles, five kilometers. Uh, it's a hill train course. A lot of times on a golf course, that type of thing. And so is that similar to where you started, or how does it work there? Exactly the same. Um, exactly the same. Uh, that's what you do in winter. And then in spring, uh, indoors, and in summer, the track. That was the that was the season, yeah. Okay, so you got outdoors, and then you got your your indoors, and then track seasons. And so you were doing this almost essentially year round, then from the start. Yeah, we take a, we take a few weeks off in August, but uh, in September you would start getting ready for cross country. Uh, you would you would race kind of provincial championships October November, and then you would race national championships November December. And then uh, maybe into January and then February, March, you'd have some indoor season. And then um, you start getting ready for outdoors, April, May and, and into the summer. Uh, yeah. So that is something that you, you is going to come up, I think, in our conversation a lot. And that's variety and variability in, mm. in sports and what you do to prevent injuries in uh, mm. the U.S. A lot of people do year round sports and it's the same sport, football. Mm soccer, baseball, swimming, whatever it is, once kids get into that particular sport, it's hard to break away because it becomes competitive. And if you want to excel and to continue on in that sport, you have, you almost have to do it year round. And, and when they do that, you you're stuck in the same movement patterns year, you know, year after year after year. And then that leads to a lot of injuries, especially in the younger population and in youth that you didn't have that in years past where kids do different sports at different times of the year. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that we talk about as you get older, the variability is, is, is key, but also noticing that doing the same thing over and over again will lead to injury. Yeah, for sure. Uh, that, that was representative of, of my, uh, journey. When I started running, I was also a soccer player and, uh, a Gaelic football um, player, and and then as I got more into the running, you just had to drop those other sports to uh, to excel at the one that you were doing. But uh, yeah, the the way we trained in hindsight wasn't that dissimilar year round. It was generally high volume, and um, mm-hmm. but also even though the running was similar, we we made rapid transitions, uh, which can often be dangerous too. So. Um, getting from from lots of road running onto the track um, sometimes caused problems too. But uh, mainly, mainly the repetitive high volume uh, factor back then was the was the big issue. Yeah. Okay. Um, and there's a lot of things I want to discuss here. And that we're, since we're talking about variability now, let's, we'll kind of start with that, and we'll kind of get into the book and and some uh, of the other questions. But there, in one of the articles that you've written, it, it's on your blog and there's a lot of information there. So if anybody is looking for a great information on running injuries before, in addition to getting the book, uh, check out your blog. And I believe, uh, what's your website address for that? It's really simple. It's just uh, peterfrancis.blog. Dot blog. Very, you can't get any more simple than that. And I'll post no. that in the links as well. But in one of your articles that I was uh, reading, uh, I think the other week, you made a key point about the types of injuries that runners get. Uh, and you made a comparison between runners 
versus footballers or soccer players uh, and how with runners, the structure is designed to assist with loading and, uh, and absorption of shock uh, get injured. But with the soccer players, you didn't see that. Instead, you get more of like muscle tears and, and muscle tissue damage. And I thought that was a, a great comparison because they're essentially they're both runners, but you made a distinction about how r- runners, normal, normal runners and soccer uh, or footballers are different. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was, uh, you know, that was a kind of an incidental uh, research uh, finding, you know, and I suppose one of the things that's nice about doing research in an area and running and being an athlete yourself at the same time is that you're you're totally immersed uh in terms of what you're experiencing um and then you're comparing that to what's coming out in the literature i think that helps to join some dots but it was actually one of my phd students was doing research in professional soccer players and i just i i was doing a systematic review on the most common running injuries and i looked at his data which was you know majority muscle and I looked at my data where the top five injuries didn't involve any muscles. And I started to think, isn't that interesting? Um, because even just knowing the injury problems, it starts to give you clues as to the loading patterns that are actually going on. Um, now, I know that, you know, soccer players are different in that they they um, they run around for 90 minutes. But straight away, if you just think about it, they've got several different gears from jogging to striding to sprinting which is a form of what we call within running variability and then they've got jumping heading kicking uh you know even some throwing so that's kind of what i would refer to as outside of running uh, variability so um i i became intrigued as to why can they use their muscles uh, so well and why why can we not? Um, so that was how, how that came about. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's a good point people make is w- when you do the same thing over and over and over again, and you you're getting the same types of injuries, you know, people tend to focus on, well, how do I fix the injury and not how do I prevent the injury from happening? Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I think a lot of what you've, your book goes into that and not just, um, you know, why we get injured, but how to, how to stop it and how to prevent it. Um, and so when you, you say you, you decided to get back into running and to, to train and, and do it without getting injured and getting those PRs, what was the steps? What were the first steps that you took or, or how did you go about making that transition to, Hey, you know what, let's give this another go. Let's see if I can train smarter and, and not be injured. Well, that's the, the really lucky bit first is, you know, it sounds almost, uh, what would you say, almost Buddhist. But by letting go of being a runner, uh, that was the thing that actually opened the door. So because I'd given up, uh, I was no longer pursuing it. And so I would have these random experiences. Um, I, I mentioned them uh, in the blogs and the book as well, but... I would run over Christmas at home with no real plan. And all of a sudden I'd have run nearly every day that week. Or And then I would, that, that time I was on the training camp in the mornings 
one myself and one of the coaches would run around the forest and at the end of the week I'd be like hang on I've run nearly every morning here or and I went on holidays in America and similar thing so I started to realize hey I can run here uh you know consistently so I said I know what I'm going to do I'm going to just make a promise with myself that this is the maximum volume of running that I will do and no matter what I will stick to it for eight weeks and I'm just going to see what happens and because I'm because I'm liberated from being a runner and I'm not, you know, caught up in all of that, um, this is just like a little personal experiment at the start. It's like, what would happen if I did run for eight weeks? <laughs> um, and so, at a low volume, correct? Yeah, at a low volume. But also, uh, that was one part of the mindset. The second part of the mindset was, and this actually should probably come first, is what do I need to do? in order to be able to run. And that was the priority. So I make, I make that list of what I need to, what I think I need to do in order to be able to run at all. And when I make that list, which includes things like yoga and strength and conditioning and, and all of these things, when I make that list, I'm kind of left with three days in the week. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to run for three days and then I'm going to do all this other stuff uh, as well. And I do it for eight weeks and I get a PB just like straight away. And uh, of course, that motivates you because uh, you've tried something, it's worked. So the buy-in and the belief and the confidence starts to roll. And eventually you find yourself in the middle of a three-year thing where you no longer think about being injured. It's like being injured is an impossible mm-hmm. thing to happen. So you're totally then thinking about, oh, I might do this race or I might do that race. Which is what I imagine, you know, all healthy runners think like. Um, but when you're injury prone, you sort of, you've always got one eye over your shoulder thinking, oh, I could get injured again here or, you know. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, no, that's a, it's a great point. Um, I just finished my last race in, the, you know, in July, an ultra marathon, and I don't have anything on my calendar upcoming. There are obviously lots of things that I want to do. And, but the good thing that I I have now, and it goes into what you're saying is I don't have a specific race that I'm training for. So I don't have that constant need to, I need to put mileage in. I need to train for the specific event. Instead, what I'm doing now is I'm backing off and I'm limiting my miles right now, you know, just consistent volume. I'm not trying to build up every week. I'm not trying to do long runs on the weekend or anything like that. I'm trying to be consistent with my training because I am recovering or still trying to stave off a a little bit of a plantar fasciitis issue. And I'm think, I think by backing off my volume and I'm refocusing on strength training that I've neglected over the past year. And even though that's, that's my job, but when you get in this mindset of training for a race that gets put on the back burner, even if you're in different training cycles, my go-to is always, I'd rather be out there running and putting the miles in. And I think, you build up too fast and injuries can occur. So I'm enjoying this fact of I'm just limiting my running and I'm going to do different things, you know, strength Mm -hmm. training. I'm going to get, I'm getting more into cycling, trying swimming a lot of Mm -hmm. different things. So that way I can keep moving, keep training, but not emphasize the running. Yeah. And lucky for me, I was forced into that. So, um, you know, when things get bad enough, you, you no longer have a choice. Uh, and what you do and so then 
what became cool was a bit like you, I, I work in that profession. So what was nice for me then, I suppose, when it, when it started to work was when I would be giving talks or, or coaching or there was no mismatch between what I was saying and how I was actually behaving. And that's a great thing in any time in life where you get to that place where who you are and how you're living is also matching up with what you're saying. You know, I would be giving the talks, but I would actually be doing the stuff that I was on about. And uh, that was quite nice uh, in terms of tying it together, I guess. No, that's a, that's a good point. And I think that's something I kind of got out of for a while when you start to, to train for something and, and I, and I still would do strength training, but it would become less and less. And, and so I have to refocus my mindset. Like, this is what I tell people to do every day. This is what I preach. I need to also be doing this. So it's good to, to reinforce that. Now you had been doing the blog for four years and there's a lot of different topics and research that, you know, that you've put up there. When did you decide that I need to put this into a book format or is that something that you did all along? Um, they, they kind of both started together. So I, I, I was on a six month re research sabbatical in New Zealand where um, my time was my own. Um, and I was based at the, the sports performance um, research Institute there. And, but that time period is also coinciding with the peak of my, uh, running powers and 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 how I'm doing so I'm sort of I, maybe I'm I'm nearly a year consistent and I'm pouring out blogs as they come into my head about how I'm doing what I'm doing so and then you know just something in training you reflect on it you go god yeah since I started doing this it's just this feels like this and this is like that so I started pouring out those uh sound bites I call them on on each particular topic but at the same time I'm, I'm drafting a what's the coherent overall story here what's the what are the chapters you know so the way I started was I started uh, I wanted to write it in two parts so one is the first 10 chapters are problems and the next eight chapters are solutions but what I'm really trying to do is explain the problem so well that you almost don't need to read the second half of the book because if you, I always believe if people really understand uh, the problem that they solve it actually very easily themselves quite quickly. Um, mm -hmm. So that was kind of the, the ethos of, of the blogs were sound bites. It could be anything uh, that I'm doing that week. That's useful. Um, but the book is a coherent story that to try and give you the overall picture, you know, that's a great point because if you just post, here's how to get rid of this injury or here's how to prevent that, great people can take that information and maybe implement it, but they don't know why they're doing it necessarily. They don't understand that. So as an exercise physiologist background, you know, knowing those details and the science behind it, the mechanisms really helps your understanding of how to correct it. And even though I don't think about a lot of the physiology on a daily basis, because I've already learned it, I focus for myself a lot on how to treat it. Having that background knowledge allows me to better understand what I'm doing or how to adapt something and change it uh, rather than just knowing, looking up on YouTube, how to fix this without knowing the background. It's like me trying to fix a car 
and I can read the instructions about how to fix it, but not understand how it works. Yeah, I think there's two interesting parts to that. Um, one is the trouble with uh, sound bites is they're singular pieces of information. So, so they will be, as you say, an article that's really good at solving this, but because the picture is incomplete, it doesn't allow the person contextualize the information in their seven day week and what they're doing. Uh, that's the first issue. The second issue is about science and physiology is I had to go way down into the detail to realize it was quite simple. So it's kind of like you, you, you go down the rabbit hole and then you go down enough rabbit holes and then you come out of all of them and you look back and you're able to say, overall, the most important things are this. And, and, and if I do these things consistently, I won't have a problem. And that's really important because um, what I preach a lot is not sweating the details. But I, I think nowadays we live in a world that craves the, the details. Um, when we haven't got the basic concepts, touchstones in place. I mean, a really simple example would be um, someone might look at strength and conditioning and it's such a big term and it's such a, am I doing it right? You know, should I be lifting the weights? You know, high reps, low reps, heavy, light. Should I be doing circuit training? You know, should I be running up sand? You know, what should I be doing? You know, and so my big thing is, look, Strength and conditioning, all forms. Will it give you variability? Yes. Will you use your muscles closer to their maximum capacity than you do when you're jogging? Yes. Um, you know, will it help you be more consistent? Yes. So then after that, I'm saying to, to the average runner, don't worry about it. You know, if, if there's circuit training on in your local area, do that. You know, mm -hmm. but if, if, if there's a weightlifting club, then then go and do some of that. You know, it, it's, it's kind of, um, yeah, it, 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 it's actually a, about not sweating the details, but I, I appreciate what, what you say because I, I had to, I'm sure like you, I had to go in there to then get lost in that, to then come out and know what actually matters, you know? So, yeah. I, I, and I think you made, you made a great point there that do whatever is available to you because yeah. you're getting that variability when you do the strength training. So basically that means you're not spending this extra time running. You're not putting in junk miles, you're strengthening your muscles, you're strengthening your tendons, your ligaments. So you're getting those adapt adaptations that will help your running, but you're not putting extra miles into it. So again, we're going back to this variability. If there's one thing I think that, and you correct me if I'm wrong, that people can take away is change it up. Variability is, yeah. is a big component. Yeah, and do what's available to you is a big um, is an important point as well, for the simple reason that you might read about the best strength and conditioning, but if that strength and conditioning is two hours across town, you're now screwing up your headspace for that week because you, you know. So, and this is what I mean by zooming out. You know, like like okay, that thing is brilliant in isolation. But we're trying to build a week for you here that works in your environment. And, you know, the majority of runners have to work or have kids or whatever. So, uh, you know, you've got to really think smart about that. You know, somebody might say, 
oh, I've, I've, I've not got yoga where I am. There's a Pilates class instead. I'm like, perfect, perfect. Do the Pilates. You know what I mean? Don't, don't add on an hour's commute to get the, 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 the perfect, uh, you know, training yeah. session. Cause you're going to lose that somewhere else. <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah. One yeah. thing that I say all the time to people, or they ask me, what's the best exercise? Well, you know, we're getting on a little tangent here, but I'll come back to the injuries in a moment. What's the best exercise to do? Or what's the best exercise for this particular you know, thing, you know, like our oh, deadlifts or, or leg presses or lunges better. I say, I don't really care about the particular exercise. I think about the movement that I'm trying to create. So if you read about a great deadlift program, but you don't have a deadlift bar, well, obviously you can't do that. So what are you trying to create by doing the deadlift program? Oh, you know, you're, you're strengthening the the legs, you're doing eccentric movements, you're doing a compound lower, you know, so how can you recreate that on your own with what you have available? Mm. And this goes to different things. When people do get injured or they, oh, Dan, I've got a shoulder problem. I can't do this. I said, okay, well, we may not do that, but what move am I trying to accomplish? And then this allows me to, to create alternative exercises or alternative programs for them so that they can still get the results they're looking for, uh, without doing a particular movement for um, sure and, and uh, like to, to bring that a step further you know i was surprised even myself in 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 lockdowns with with covid um my brother is a mechanic and uh i was amazed when i went into his garage how many different exercises and things i could do i mean car batteries are pretty heavy and uh, they have two little handles on them and uh and i was like this is the best deadlift thing ever you know so it's like, you know, big, big logs of wood, you know, overhead squats. And um, yeah, so so that's another message to people is uh, look around and see see what you've got. You know, you might be surprised sometimes. Yeah. So let's go back to the, the running injuries. And then I want to talk about some things that people can do to to create variability in their, their programs. Now, you. You talk about. Uh, most of the uh, injuries for, for runners is from the knee down, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you expand a little bit on that? Yeah. And, you know, by most, I would say almost all of them, um, you know, runners do get other injuries, but it pales in comparison to what happens from, from the knee down. I mean, I can't remember the data exactly, but I would, I would, say somewhere around 70% um, from the knee down. Um, so yeah, uh, the feet and the shins, the knee seem to take a particular um, loading. And, and I think that's partly to do with uh, A, a lack of movement variability and B, probably how we move. Um, and sort of when we're running with sort of extended legs and upright postures and, and, um, and really hitting that ground with a hard heel strike, we're uh, creating a lot of shock to be absorbed by those structures um, from our knee down. And I think there's a, there's a common set of patterns that those injuries come up with. They, they, they come on slowly. Uh, the pain develops gradually. Um, as I said already, they're not to muscles. Um, and yeah, and they have biomechanical patterns of loading that are kind of common to a lot of them. So as a runner, say I'm a runner and that is, I get these random injuries, you know, whether it's plantar fasciitis, Achilles tendonitis, 
um, tears in my, in my calf or knee pains, what are some of the components that that runners these days go through that lead to these problems? Or what are some of the reasons that these injuries occur compared to, uh, I think you mentioned how at one point in that, imagine a fish, you know, if 50% of fish are getting injured that can't swim, right. Or, or, or 50% of monkeys yeah. can't climb. How does it like, so how do humans who now yeah. do running as a sport, not get injured where, you know, as, as humans evolve, you know, that's something that we've been able or meant to do without getting injured. So what is causing these injuries? Uh, okay. These so there's a lot, there's a lot in that, but as always, what we'll do is we'll start real wide and then try uh, narrow down. So the first problem, the first risk factor is previous injury. Um, and I won't spend too long on that because there's not much we can do about it. Whatever injuries you have, you have. Um, but the reason uh, to maybe note it is that people who are injured more often tend to get caught in that cycle of the second most important risk factor, which is a one we can control, which is changing anything too quickly. So uh, if you're injured a lot, you tend to go from zero to too much quite quickly. It's not the, it's not the amount. Yeah, it, it's not the amount that you're doing. It's the rate of change. So uh, the, the, the first reason that runners get injured is due to training error. Um, and they often don't like that one because they want the more complex reason, but uh, something's changed. And uh, either they've changed their training load too quickly or what they've got to remember is anything that changes. So if you change your surface too quickly, you change your shoes too quickly, you change your non-running training too quickly, whatever it is, compared to your normal that you've changed uh, will be a huge culprit. And I prefer to start with all of that first because you can give out the best exercises and this, that, and the other. If they change anything too quickly, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what they're doing. Um, so that's the kind of wide thing. That's why all injuries occur. Um, okay, now after that, um, and you've addressed that and you're on top of that, then it becomes a little bit more interesting about uh, the details. Um, so plantar fasciitis is quite a simple one. Uh, weak feet, um, you know, I think the data is increasingly showing and I think in, in time will show um, that foot strength is the, is the main cause. And um, because we're in modern footwear, uh, since since we're in the West anyway, since we since we're born more or less, um, we have cushioned shoes or at least shoes with a high heel, uh, often with a narrow toe box, and so a lot of those muscles go asleep and stop working, and so the foot then is not able to stiffen in the same way. Um, so what happens is the plantar fascia is getting repetitively loaded and loaded and loaded. Um, until it's uh, injured now you then add those mechanics i talked about where you're kind of plodding slapping along as you run you're now inflicting that type of brute force on top of a foot that's not conditioned um to cope so so the first thing is uh the feet the achilles tendon all of that are not conditioned in the way they would be in countries where maybe you grow up barefoot. Now, this, the other part is 
footwear is a modern thing, right? We've got a body that's adapted for millions of years, hunter-gatherers, etc. That footwear is pretty recent, but there's a load of stuff that's also recent. Like uh, sitting down all day is extremely recent, probably two or three hundred years. Um, you know, and even and even then, it's probably only the last twenty-five or thirty years that that it's really you know with the internet and and, and so on. So we're not designed to sit in a car, sit on a sofa, sit at your office, and then do a personal best in ten k off the back of that. So we're sat in sustained postures with little movement variability. So day-to-day life is low on movement variability. So even if we just took those points that we have there so far, um, you know, changing anything too quickly, uh, deconditioned feet, low day-to-day movement variability, I I think, I think that would actually cover most of it. Um, I would agree with you. Um, but then again, I, I do like sitting on my couch and Amazon delivering all my stuff for me. I don't have to go out. <laughs> <laughs> right? And when I want to run an ultra marathon, I mean, I want to do it now, even if I haven't trained for it. Like, it has to be done within this year. I can't have a two or three year process. That's too long. I want my results now. <laughs> um, I think well, that is the psychological component of modern living. Yeah. Yes. Um, and so you, there's another article that, I saw on your, your site and it, it reminded me of my children. You talk about barefoot children and mm. I have three kids and you know, they wear shoes obviously, but one in particular, my middle kid, he goes everywhere without shoes on. And mm. I yell, I'm like, cause he usually wears socks when he runs around destroys his socks. We're yelling at him. Hey, take these socks off or, or put your shoes on. And I don't like to criticize him too much because of all the kids that we have, if you look at his feet, his are not, toes are not crunched together. He, he almost looks like he has hobbit feet. If that's the, yeah, yeah. And his toes are wide, you know, he's yeah. got, he's able to, 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 to spread his toes out, to grip the ground, he can run. And, and I think when you're constantly wearing shoes as a kid, that also can start this process of weak feet, which I think is, you know, what a lot of people lead to. So I see that in my children and so we try to encourage them to, to not necessarily have to wear shoes, but just don't wear your socks while they do it because I'm constantly got holes in their socks. But um, so that's one, an article that I saw that you wrote that really struck home with me. Yeah. What's interesting with kids is uh, even as young as toddlers, they, they come into the world without any societal conditioning. And if you watch it, you, you'll see it. Uh, toddlers go crazy. Uh, when you're you know that amount of times even in public places you'll see them going nuts because somebody's trying to put shoes on their feet uh it's like they it's like they have a a deeper connection to their evolutionary you know legacy it's like they're like this just feels odd or awkward or whatever it is um so yeah kids are good that way but also it's important for them because we can still do something for them whereas with us um i mean barefoot did did help my running injuries a lot um but not as much as it would have had i started that way you know um Mm -hmm. so so i think the kids are really where this work you know i often say you know with research talks and that that the kids is where this stuff can really um uh, take hold and and i suppose that goes for everything doesn't it you know um food exercise etc you know 
Yeah. I guess I'm going to, I'm going to reemphasize my kids running around barefoot. I'm not, I hope my wife doesn't listen to this because they're going to go around barefoot now and only wear shoes when they absolutely need to. <laughs> but, uh, but that is, it's a very important part. I think, you know, starting younger, these, these good habits, because in, it could lead to more sustained uh, habits when you get older, less risk of injury and, and so on and so forth. So the causes we talk about then are your rate of change and then also the deconditioning are a major cause of most of these injuries. Mm-hmm. So say you've got an injury, whether it's, you know, um, uh, tendinopathy in, in the, the patella or the calf or the ankle, what are the first thing, or what are some of the most important things people can do to then start to basically get out of this cycle of being injured, recovering, starting again, getting injured, recovering. What is the process there? Okay, well, the simple version without having to yeah go through the entire book. Yeah, we're we're trying to we're trying to take care of a lot of individuals in that question, I guess. But um, okay, what whatever injury you have, I would say um, you will be able to do something, um, and somebody might say, "No, I've got a really bad injury." I can't, you know, and you say. Yeah, but let's say there was a bus to the airport and you were just about to miss it. Could you run to it? And they would say, well, yeah, sure, I, I could. So uh, then I'm like, okay, well then, well, then you can run. So that's the first thing. So, so start where you are is what I'm saying. So for some people, they'll come to you and say, look, I can do two kilometers. But then as soon as I, after two kilometers, it just gets worse and worse and worse. And then I'm like, okay, two kilometers, that's where you are that's where we start that's your new training mileage let's go there what that does is it helps your mind because you're still running um it stops your body from getting deconditioned if you do nothing so you're making things worse but when you do nothing the hill the hill you have to climb gets steeper and steeper um so that's where you are that's what you do and then start to see yourself less as a runner and more as an athlete. And what I mean by that is um, look at the other aspects of your fitness and performance that you can develop. So start to see the injury as an opportunity to, as you, as you said yourself, your own training to catch up on all of that stuff that you should have been doing uh, all along. So you then start, you have a totally different mindset then, because instead of saying, Oh, you know, I'm a runner and now I'm injured, you know, I've got nothing you're now saying I'm modifying my training to what I'm able to do at the moment. And I'm developing all these other components of fitness that are going to help me a lot when I come back. And, you know, I've run a 5k, uh, race where I've equaled my personal best. Um, when the preceding months have mainly been swimming and, and biking, because it's amazing when you're, when you're in that frame of mind, you, you can get so fit that, uh, it doesn't take much for you to, to, to come, to come back. And that would be a huge change from when I was first injured um, to when I was running on the second time around. First time it was just like game over. Second time it was an opportunity. And I think that's a huge thing. So difficult to capture everybody and everybody's injury. Uh, but that would be, that would be a kind of a base principle. No, I think that that is a great takeaway uh, as a starting point is to see yourself. Don't identify as a runner right? You know, people, I'm a triathlete, I'm a runner, I'm a cyclist, or I'm a swimmer, whatever it is, 
think of yourself more as an athlete. And I think this goes back to what I like, you know, we're all endurance athletes. We just have different disciplines. Mm -hmm. And if you can partake in a variety of disciplines, you you're still training, you're still getting the benefits. You're still doing all the things you need to do, but you're reducing those risks of injury or you're getting stronger. And then you can go back to your particular discipline and excel more. Right. Cause when you stick with your discipline or you're like, you've got Strava. Oh, if I don't get my 30 miles this week or whatever it is, or however many as I'm trying to do miles, I'm trying to do then my data changes. And I, I don't see that nice straight line on the social media of, of running. Right. On that point, I've never used it. <laughs> I use it. I, I like it, but I, I, I agree that because right now I'm just trying to do a few miles stay easy. But I, if I see it, I'm like, oh, I didn't get my 25 miles last week. Mm. And it's like, oh, crap, I need to throw in an extra run at the end of the weekend or a longer run. And that's the worst thing to do. <laughs> Not necessarily the worst thing, but it can lead to an injury. If you all of a sudden go out, if you're running three to five miles now, I need to put in 12 miles just to get my yeah. weekly mileage. You know, that can lead to a lot of problems where instead of focusing less on your sport and what you have to do, focus more on what you need to do to stay healthy and be active. Yeah. I, I say that in some of my talks, uh, never try and catch up, just move on. So if you've got a bad week, you don't hit the targets, uh, know your process and stick to it, pick it, pick it up the following week. Uh, so for anybody listening, if you miss your long run on Sunday, this, the following week, nothing changes. You start Monday, like you do every Monday, you, mm -hmm. you know, the, the catch up mentality um, is, is, is a dangerous one. So yeah. Yeah. For example, last week, I, my goal is 25. I think I got 15, but I wasn't any less active. I had some walks in there. I rode my bike. I did other things. So my overall mileage was, if you looked at my Strava, my run mileage was lower, but I was doing still as active. I was doing more strength training. So that made me feel better, but I have to get out of that mindset of focusing on the numbers uh, mm -hmm. there. Um, let's see. So I think that's, it's a great point of, you know, what causes, we talked about what causes these injuries and then how do you start getting out of it? Um, now, as far as being a runner, and if you're a road runner or 5k, you do the same thing. You do roads. If you're a trail runner, you only do, you like to only do trails and, and doing that repetitive type of training, you know, is one of the things that leads to the injuries. What are a few strategies for runners to vary, to change it up a bit, to still get a training uh, stress in, but maybe not in the, the same way all the time? Yeah. So I referred to it earlier, but I, I refer to within running variability and outside of running variability. I mean, you'll be amazed even what just within running variability can do. So, um, you know, if you, if you do a 40 minute run, uh, you might also want to consider doing, uh, 20 times one minute where you run quickly one minute where you jog. And now that 40 minutes takes on a whole other stimulus and a whole other, uh, way of using your muscles. So it's great variability in the week. If you can do something like that, and that hasn't cost you any extra time or headspace or creativity or facilities or, or anything. Um, you know, um, if you were to do some barefoot running in your warm up or your cool down, if let's say you've, you're somewhere nearby a nice grassy park or, or a medium firm 
uh, sandy beach or, or whatever, and you can work in a day where you go out there and in, in incorporate some barefoot running. Um, let's say another day you find an area with uh, some hills and do some hill repeats. Magic uh, variability there. Um, running downhill is also one that I recommend people do as well. Yeah. They, they tend to focus on the uphill and either walk or easily recover on the downhill and they don't get that eccentric loading and, and, and yeah. training skills on the downhill. Yeah, the, the only thing I say on that one is uh, the uphill is uh, safe. So um, <laughs> yeah. when, when you run uphill, uh, you're going to give your muscles a good workout, but with a low risk of uh, injury or, or, or overdoing it. Um, uh, so you can run kind of quickly um without taking too many chances but i mean yeah for sure you've got to come back down the hill um but i would say to people build that part up um maybe more slowly than you build the, the part where you're where you're going uphill um and then another option is do a day where you warm up and do some straight line flat out sprinting and um you know see what that's like um and that will give you variability but the second thing that all of those things give you is, firstly, all of them make you bend your hip, knee, and ankle. That's the magic in all of them. Um, they all take you out of that straight leg plodding into something else. Um, but the other thing they do is they build confidence because when you're doing those kind of vigorous movements, you stop thinking of your body as a fragile thing that might not work, and you start to realize, hey, I can I can move here. Um, so that's, that's yeah. a really... Um, important way of, of of doing that whilst also getting variability then you get to outside of discipline variability and um i've used lots of things over the years obviously uh some some programs i was in the weights room other programs i just did a circuit training um you know most of the time i had some yoga in there uh i would do cross trainer so i would mimic a running action on a cross trainer so i would get some junk miles done if you like but without the impact um and then there's yeah swimming cycling you know um whatever you whatever you you enjoy i suppose but uh yeah so with within running don't forget the within running variability and yeah. then uh, outside of it too yeah so changing what you do within your run from hills to stairs to intervals to speed not yeah. just the same type of running and then outside yeah. of the running change it up strength training, yeah. yoga, flexibility, swimming, cycling, all these, you know, walking even is something that people do not train enough and it makes a huge difference. And in what you do, for example, I did my uh, 500 kilometer race that I, I, I got injured and just uh, an acute injury there, but I practiced a lot of walking, which I'd never done before. And it was surprisingly hard at first, but after have done it for a while, it, it made everything a lot easier. Um, so I think, you know, that those are great points in, in running and outside of running changes. Um, just a couple more things that I wanted to hit on uh, and we'll let you go here. Uh, talking about the barefoot running, how, what is the best way to get into barefoot running? Cause I've done it before we, I live near the beach, but inevitably I, I push the distance and the speed of what I do and the bottom of my feet are just raw. So what would be the safest way to get into barefoot running? You've already answered the question, Dan. Basically, <laughs> uh, you can do any new training um, mm -hmm. as long as you don't change it too quickly. Got and it. That's it. 
So if um, you understand the process, yeah. the answer is a lot easier to discover. So yeah, yeah. if you're running six to eight mile runs, normal, don't go for a six to eight mile run oh, barefoot. No. Start off walking barefoot on the beach, maybe a light jog and gradually build that up. Yeah, I mean, in Ireland, it would be common for people to be in a running club, to meet up at the club and go off on their run. And so a thing I will say to them is go on the grass infield and do your 15 minutes warm up in there stick on your shoes and do your run and then come back and do your cool down there or something. So, you know, if somebody wants to go, you know, exclusively into barefoot running, I usually start them on 10 to 15 minutes and it's 10 to 15 minutes at an easy running pace. And it's always either on a, a soft grass surface or a, or a medium firm sand surface. And that's how I get people moving. And from there, you use the same principles. So if you if you're at 15 minutes, you know, and you do that for two weeks, then you add five minutes on, and then you add another five, and again you just take your time. And all of a sudden, in my case, uh, I at one point I was 20 miles at sub three hour marathon pace um, barefoot. So that's the other thing to tell people is that it's not necessarily once you get conditioned it's not it's not that slow running you know and you're on the road for most of these right the pavement and no 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 so so yeah. the majority of my uh barefoot running was on grassy park um, Got it. or or beach now okay having said that if i was doing a loop of a of a big you know park and there was a section of you know trail or, or or gravel or whatever that I had to cross because by that point I was well trained I could actually handle it um quite well but um you know I never did you know full full runs that were on a concrete surface barefoot if you're yeah. going to barefoot don't think you have to go run on the the asphalt or the concrete oh, or the tra- no. the trails one one is I think it makes it's an easier transition on the softer surface but two, if you're like me and you're a competitive runner, you'll want to maintain some form of training intensity. And if you go running on the on the pavement, you'll have to slow down so much that it won't even be like running. So um, the reason I did all of my easy running um, uh, barefoot on grass was because Obviously, I knew it was good or useful, but I could run my normal easy run pace. So so it made sense. Whereas when I did intervals on the road or track mm-hmm. sessions or whatever, I had a, a pair of light, comfortable and usually cheap running shoes uh, that would just add the compliance for me to the to the concrete. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And same for the track. Yeah. But, okay. I, but I did the majority of my easy miles on grass barefoot, yeah. So I take it you're not a big fan then of the, the giant moon boot hokas and all these super insulated shoes? Well, you know what? Um, again, if we think in concepts, um, yeah. I think the idea, the, the best idea is get conditioned, um, get your feet strong, um, you know, you'll, you'll probably do an easy miles barefoot on the grass, also have better running form. 
etc etc but everything has a place you know so if you're if you're conceptually a, a problem solver you know what i could do with somebody for example what i did with my own um when, when i finished running i uh you know competitively at least i ruptured my achilles and you know when i was doing my rehab and coming back slowly i wanted a highly cushioned heel uh to help me um come back you know so um there's times where you want to deliberately offload something but it's just to be aware that you're offloading so that's what you're doing which is helpful in a scenario where you've got an injury that's exacerbated or or, or angry you know uh but from a prevention standpoint the aim of the game is to get strong so uh it's about working with the two in tandem you know so when i was at my best i i used uh shoes on the road and on the track and i was barefoot on the grass it's not an either or sort of um thing got you it. know okay well great and it's kind of the last thing here before we let you go is when with our children we use something called a fixed versus a growth mindset mm-hmm. when the kids are having a problem you know, emotionally, or, you know, they can't let go of something and just my wife, and this is all her, uh, you know, I just, I just do what she says and, and learn from her. But as she brought in, do you have, she asked, they can, you know, have a growth mindset rather than a fixed mindset. And this, I'm bringing this back to, to something that, uh, that you wrote. And it, it makes sense. You know, when you are fixed on something, it's hard for you to break out. You know, you want to have a growth mindset to be able to, to look around and to adapt and to do realize Hey, it doesn't have to be cut and dry necessarily. And something that you wrote about, it's basically the same concept, but you call it the flexible mindset. And I don't think any of this is possible as far as getting rid and getting over injuries is possible without that, having that flexible mindset. Yeah. And where that comes from is when you can zoom out and see the big picture, you realize what you're trying to do is a safe, is a set of basic things consistently well. And the idea is that the reward will come provided you do those basic things consistently well. So you're not actually trying to be perfect. You're not trying to be to do loads of something. What you're trying to do is you're trying to say, if I overall in the scope of a year or whatever, do these basic things i'll be rewarded and it's the same thing of if you're if you're if you're saving if you have a savings account you know you don't have to be perfect every month but overall if you do the basics eventually the account adds up right so it's a similar thing so so because i i had got to a place where i knew what i was trying to do overall i was then a lot more adaptable because i realized most important thing here is that I can train every week so if for some reason I can't do that session I normally do on Tuesday it doesn't matter I can do something else it doesn't matter and then and then I won't try and replace that Tuesday session I'll just continue on the following week and so the beauty of consistency is that when it gets interrupted it doesn't matter because you're so consistent you can be interrupted and you can pick up again because there's such a body of work behind you that you're not yo-yoing anymore. And so I actually, another thing that a lot of runners would be familiar with is the concept of periodization. 
but I use very little periodization in my more successful um, running career because I aimed for that consistency over time approach. And, and that meant that when I got tired, I could back off. Or when I got a niggle, I could back off and then just pick up where I was. Whereas if you try and do your program out to a calendar, what happens if on your, you know, your up week, you feel down or on your down week, you feel great or whatever, right? So you've got to start to learn to listen to your body and to, to get in touch with how you're feeling and then start to kind of say, okay, based on how I'm feeling here, what's the best decision to make? for the overall consistent zoomed out uh, picture. Yeah. I like to call that a variable periodization where you have a general plan. Yeah. And, and that's the thing when I write programs for runners, they, they want specific Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard to do because something comes up every week. Mm-hmm. And the goal, and if you have a specific, you know what the overall concept, the broad view is of that week, what you're trying to accomplish it makes it easier to adapt and to change as things come up and you're not stuck with then trying to add to make up those sessions, like you said. So yeah. I think that's, that's a great takeaway as well. Peter, thank you very much for joining me on this episode and real quick, give everyone a where you can find the book and where they can get more information about you and, and kind of follow you along. So all the details about everything are on, are on peterfrancis.blog and the book is on Amazon. It's called um, Running from Injury. And if you just type in Peter Francis and uh, running, it comes up actually. So, yeah. All right, great. And I'll also put this information in the show notes for anybody that can uh, that, that looks at the show notes and you can get it that way. So again, thank you very much and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for having me. All right, that's it for this episode of the Endurance Athlete Podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can get notified whenever a new episode comes out. You can also stay in touch with us through Instagram at The Endurance Athlete. You can also join our Facebook group page. Just search for The Endurance Athlete Podcast. Good luck with your training and be sure to just have fun.